A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello there, and you're very welcome along to Tuesday's Late Lunch. I had to think about that for a minute. Uh, this is Barbara Scully here with you again. Um, and I'm back in my winter boots today as the weather looked very kind of, well, it looked and felt decidedly cool when I was getting dressed this morning. And I also didn't hang out my bloody washing either. And now as I was coming into studio, there was blue sky and sunshine. So that by the middle of the afternoon, I'll have melting feet and my washing is languishing, still wet in the washing machine. Tammy Wynette was right, you know, sometimes it is hard to be a woman not knowing how to dress for the weather because uh, we don't really know what the weather's going to do in this country. Forecast only kind of gives you a vague idea. Anyway, we have a great show lined up for you again today with some very interesting guests for you to meet, including the novel traveller, Michelle Jackson, who will be telling us all about 3G travel. You what, gay? Yep, yeah, 3G travel. Nothing to do with your phone signal, but uh, refers to holidays that are for three generations that suit the entire family from children through parents and on to grandparents. Um, the other thing that strikes me about travel this year is that looking back on last year, it did seem that a lot of the kind of traditional destinations that especially families would go to, like in Spain or in Portugal or in Italy, the temperatures were pretty high, like reaching up into 40 degrees, which for Irish people, that's pretty uncomfortable. So Michelle also has some great suggestions for places to uh, to look at that might be a tad cooler and more suitable to us Irish uh kind of cold creatures. Um, it's funny actually because my, my eldest daughter lives in Perth in Western Australia where in their winter which is July and August daytime temperatures can get up to around 20 degrees which for us is summer and any time I'm out there at that time of the year it's always gas watching the Australians going around in their boots and their hats and we're going around in t-shirts going God isn't it a lovely day um, although it does get very cool there in the evening um, in winter and their houses are not insulated so I have been known to go to bed going around in a t-shirt during the day and then when I go to bed that night I'm in my pyjamas and a dressing gown and a hot water bottle it's that cool anyway I do think at this stage in the year most of us are dying to feel a bit of heat on our bones so if you haven't planned your holidays yet stay tuned Michelle has some great uh, suggestions for you Um We also have more tickets to give away for the private screening to the new Super Mario Brothers movie along with today's clue for our Easter egg hunt. So you don't want to miss any of that. So stay tuned here to us on LMFM. I also want to tell you today is a very auspicious day because it is our producer Louise's birthday. She refuses 
to tell me how old she is um, so that I can't, you know, sing her happy birthday. So if you want to let us know how old you think she is or if you want to comment on anything else on the show, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. You can send us a WhatsApp or a text to 086-1800-658. Right, let us get down to business. My first guest today is Dil Vikramasinghe, a psychotherapist and founder of Insight Matters, which is a counselling psychotherapy and wellness practice in Dublin. She's a former broadcaster too, and she has been in the news recently because she announced publicly that she and her wife, Anne-Marie, have transitioned their relationship from a monogamous one to a consensual throuple. And Dill is joining me now to tell us more. How are you doing, Dill? I'm doing great, Barbara. No, thank you so much for having me on. Listen, it's it's lovely to talk to you as usual. I mean, I've always to- thought of you as a as a particularly brave person and one who's never afraid to challenge the status quo. So in one sense, um, it was no surprise to me that you chose to share this rather personal news so publicly and that you've been so gracious in explaining it to those of us for whom it's kind of a bit outside of our normal day to day. So I want to ask you in advance to forgive if any of the questions I might ask are are particularly stupid. I'll try, but hopefully they're not. Um, so look, for, all, fire ahead. Good woman. Listen, tell me first of all about yourself and Anne-Marie. How long have you been together? When did you get married, etc.? Okay, so we've been together for 13 years and like many, many people in our community, we got married in 2015 um, because we were chomping at the bit um, because we were very much at the forefront of the marriage equality campaign. And um, at that stage, we had our first son. I gave birth to Phoenix. He was uh, uh, he was born born the week of the marriage referendum. Was he? I and didn't realise that. Yeah, he was born on the Sunday, and then in, we had a beautiful home birth. And then our first um, outing as a family, we left the house to go to the polling station, which was in a in a church, which I always think was so funny. Funny. People saw us walking in with his newborn baby, bleary eyed, and they they knew how important that day was for us. Yes. And then about um, just a little less than uh, two years later, Amory um, gave birth to our, our second child, uh, Xavier. And, and yeah, so that's... And then we, we obviously set up Inside Matters uh, about 12 years ago. So everything, you know, we... We we're incredibly happy from a point of view of um, from a relationship point of view. We we love um, you know our family and our children. We work together as well. Um, so every everything works. And and, and to be honest, you, you you're saying you were not surprised, but I was surprised, Barbara. <laughs> I was surprised by all of this because if you had told me that this was something that was going to happen in my life. Um, See, six months, six months ago, I would have thought, go away out of that, Barbara. There's no way that's happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... What I what I meant by that was I I I mean the surprise at the trouble possibly but I've no I'm not surprised that you're choosing to share it I think you've always been very oh. generous in sharing kind of personal stuff because I can remember when you were pregnant and about to give birth and, and you shared a lot about the home birth and I, if I can remember correctly I think you had a, a water birth or you were looking to have a water birth anyway and it was on on, uh, on in a documentary it was featured in a. Um, Maya Dunphy's The Truth About Birth. So there I you go. To the nation to there you go. You see, <laughs> you're a great woman at bringing us all on these journeys with you. But so, in relation to this, the reason I did it, Barbara, is because a lot of people I found, especially, the polyamory is no new thing, right? It's been happening for decades in, in Ireland, but it's just been not talked about, especially when there's children involved. Yes. And I, I, before we, we, we kind of, when we started uh, down this this journey, 
and process. We connected with the polyamorous uh, community in Ireland, uh, you know, peer support groups and all and so on and so forth. And we found that so many people found it really hard to open up about um, their life. And they found it very difficult. And, you know, their families wouldn't accept them. And, and I was like, hey, hang on a second. I have, I'm in a great place of privilege here where, you know, I, I don't work for anybody. You know, I yeah. work for myself. I pick the people I... I want in my life. And so if I've spoken about other sensitive issues, why not talk about this? Obviously, this time around, I had to ask permission from not one other person, but two other people. <laughs> um, and graciously, they said, go ahead, but we don't want to have anything to do with it. Yes. And they didn't want to feature in, the, in any photographs or anything. But um, we did come uh, and did a couple of interviews uh, with me. But yeah, and, and I think the response has been uh, incredibly um, positive so far. Excellent. That, that's 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 really great to hear. Why at this stage in your? I mean, I know you've been in contact with the polyamory community through your work as well. Um, yeah. But why? Do, I'm the motivation behind kind of looking to explore this because I know you did a lot of kind of exploration and and kind of you did a lot of work on yourselves before you actually made it happen but what was it that drove you to doing that was it a was it kind of like a reset of your relationship together was it just another logical step for you or what it was emory uh, really and and the funny thing is i think everybody who heard about this all immediately think that this was my idea right because i think i'm the i'm the, I'm the you know jazz hands out there vocal yeah. funny, you're you the know. visible one yeah yeah i'm the visible one so i'm the one who has these hairbrain ideas but not at all it's the quiet ones Barbara. It's listen one, what quiet i totally I totally get what you're saying. I'm married to a very quiet man and I get blamed for everything we do, that it's my idea. So I totally get where you're coming from on that. And it is the quiet ones that brew very often the, the most spectacular ideas. Exactly. And this particular spectacular idea didn't just come up uh, for the first time last September. It has come up a number of times over our 13-year relationship. And every time it came up, I was pretty much, you know, sticking my fingers in my ears and going, la, 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 I don't want to hear this. I'm going to stick my head in the sand. This is too terrifying to even consider, go away, you know? Yeah. And it was very much like that. But there was something about this time around that I think after all the work um, that I've done on myself with the training as a psychotherapist and yeah. also working with the polyamorous community, you know, I, I just felt, look, let's, let's, I'm not saying no or yes, let's just explore it. Let's take it one step at a time and see where this goes, you know. And how did that ex- how did that exploration or how did that kind of back research, how did that manifest itself? What did you do yourselves in order to kind of explore it without actually doing it? Yeah, well, practically speaking, we are in personal therapy anyway, right? Yes. So, so we obviously took that to our own respective therapy. Then we engaged the psychosexual therapist to kind of help us in, because it's all about your attachment style, Barbara, right? How... How you attach to your partner um, will play a big part in your ability to to sustain this kind of uh, this this transition yeah. to an ethical non monogamous relationship. You know, so understanding that then you can help give. I suppose you're trying to give what what you want from the other person. You're trying to give that to yourself. Yes, you know, that sense of security. Because normally, you know, we, this is all very much based on our primary attachment figures. You know how we attach to our parents. Uh, you know, there's jokingly people say you end up marrying your mother or you end up marrying yeah. your father. That's never, never, that's never too far from the truth, really. 
But it's uh, once you understand that, and the most healthy place you can be is uh, learning to be um, securely attached to self. Right. Securely attached to yourself. And of course you're going to need your partner, and of course you, you need their love, but but you also need to be kind of self-reliant and be, be somewhat, um, be able to give those things that nobody actually can give you other than yourself, you know? So, so that piece of work was incredibly um, challenging um, because of my, my, like we both have very complex family history yeah. uh, dynamics, so we had to kind of wade through all that. And then, uh, then very, very slowly, you know, with, with all the additional books, reading, you know, I love, love, you know, as a journalist, I love researching, you know. Yeah. So I, and as usual, I go hell for leather when I when something grabs me, I'm like gone like a shot, you know. So, so yeah, so lots of conversations, lots of personal therapy, lots of uh, psychosexual therapy, and then we we decided, okay, how best, how how to do this, you know, we are. Busy moms, we don't have time to hang out in bars, right? Got me with the days, Jill, huh? Got me with the days. No, no. So we went on an app um, and uh, initially we were like, oh my God, you're going on an app. I mean, <laughs> other people are going to see us on an app. And we're like, okay, well, so, yeah. so what? You know, there's loads of other people on the app. Yeah. So yeah, and uh, very quickly we, we got some... Uh, some, um, uh, you know, some, some connections, we, yeah, yeah, connections, yeah. But we, we like, we, we we spoke to one person on, on, we did WhatsApp call, we did a couple of messages, but with with um, C, it was uh, immediate. You know, there was a very immediate uh, connection with the WhatsApp messages. Yeah, and within two weeks, we were like, okay, let's meet up, and and when we met, uh, we we just sparks flew immediately. You know, and and the lovely thing was, you know, she's similar age. She, she's also um, divorced uh, a few years ago, and she's got two kids around the same age. So everything just fit perfectly. And and we also knew of her. Like I knew I met her twice before in the right. past because of uh, we have similar um, we work in a similar area. You know, so. Yeah. There was a familiarity there that kind of helped deepen the connection straight away. Excellent. And I know you have also explained this to your children in a child kind of, you know, centred way, I presume. Child. Um, uh, so how what has the reaction been of her children? And of and I mean, I know all of the children are quite young, but what has been their reaction to this? So for us, we've been practising sex positive parenting, which is very simply... When you talk about sex, we do so without any shame, yeah. using the correct language. And, and if a child asks you a question that, uh, you know, we, we answer it as a matter of factly, you know, without using analogies and cabbage patch dolls and all that stuff, right? You just, we just say it exactly as it is, you know? Yeah. We, uh, so so that, that is, you know, and then the child is happy and then goes off, you know, if you don't answer the, the question properly or you, they, they, they notice that there's a discomfort, they will keep asking you or they'll go somewhere else to get the answers, you know? So I always feel uh, we have, as parents, we, we need to be the primary educators of our children, even when it comes to topics that we are not comfortable with. Sure. So we started feeling very, uh, very early on because we were feeling such strong feelings for each other. Um, I felt quite disingenuous not telling our kids about this because we, we kept, you know, we kept going out and they were like, where are you going? You know, yeah. I mean, oh, we're going, with, we're going out with C and they're like, again? It's like, what's that? And we never, you know, we've never actually gone on too many date nights even with Amory and myself. You know, we were, we've always been very present, pre- present. We've um, always had difficulty finding childminders. Yeah, and, and you're busy, anyone. busy. Yeah, you know, so we just didn't do it. And now suddenly, out of the blue, we are trying to go off twice <laughs> a week. They're like, what's going on, you know? So, yeah. So we, we talked it out and 
she told her her, her kids almost uh, like after I think we were dating for about two two and a half months. Uh, she told her, her kids, and they were like cool. Yeah. Okay, uh, a bit weird, but cool, yeah. Um, and then our kids, uh, we sat down. I remember we, we made pancakes, the favorite breakfast. We sat down, and then I I, 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 I let Amri take the lead because I was just too anxious. I was like, oh my God, I can't take it. Uh, Amri was like, well, you know, uh, you know how mama and mommy love each other? And they were like, yeah. Well, uh, we love C, exactly, just like we love each other. And they're like, what? And then uh, Phoenix asked straight, straight away asked, are you going to marry her? And and I was like, no, actually, you can't marry her even if you wanted to because this country doesn't have yeah. um, facilities. And I mean, immediately on the soapbox, like, you know, typical me. And then Emily was like, get off the soapbox. That's, that's, <laughs> that was another day. Like, yeah, right, right, sorry, sorry. Um, yeah, no, we're not going to marry her. And then Xavier was thrilled. Xavier was like, do you, do you kiss each other on the lips? That's all Xavier cared about. Yes. Right? Uh, and and you were like yes, and then Phoenix said, "What do you think about it, Phoenix?" Phoenix was like, "Oh, it's, that's weird." Um, I love that. And, and it stayed weird. And I've, I've been checking in on him ever since I told them, and it's really cute because there's been a, 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 a incremental, uh, I suppose, um, trans- transition. It's gone yeah. from weird to weird good. Yeah. To good. To good, isn't that lovely? Yeah, to good, yeah. It, it just took a little time for them to settle and also for them to create a really strong bond with C um, and, and her kids. And, and trust, uh, I suppose, trust comes into it as well, you know, that they have to trust her as well and trust your judgment in, in bringing her into the family as well. Yes, of course, of course. Because it, like, they are very much at the heart. Uh, her kids and our kids are very much at the heart of all of this. Of course. Because um, we, we want to make sure, you know, we don't want to invite chaos into our life. Yes. We want steadiness, we want serenity, we want tranquility, we want we want, we want fun and joy, you know? Yeah. Because, um, uh, you know, I, I personally have had two huge losses in the last year I, where I lost my mom and my sister. You did. Um, yeah, my sister by suicide. And, and like, it's been a horrendous year and, Again, I would have known that I would have experienced this level of joy so quickly after experiencing such loss. And, yeah. and I think this plays a part for me personally. I know when Amri said it to me, I think that was perhaps the reason why I went, okay, let's talk about this, because I just lost two major connections in my life. Yeah. And friendships are wonderful, but friendships are never going to be as strong and as intimate as family are. Yes. Where this, it, this does uh, provide... That same level of intimacy and that same level of connection. And tell me then, just and again, I hope this isn't a stupid question. Do you regard C now as another partner? Um, is there a hierarchy when there's three people involved? You know, because of the fact that you and Amory have been together for so long and have the children together. Does that is there? You know, which way does the power work when there's three um, in in the situation? Great, great, great question. Thank you, Barbara. So there's a thing <laughs> I'm called, taking a bow here, Dill, and I'm also no, mopping my brow. <laughs> nobody's asking that question, and it's so important. Couples privilege, right? Society is full of couple privilege, you know, and, and this affects not just polyamorous people, but it affects everybody, you know. So, so people who are single um, are, are unfortunately uh, affected by this, you know, because everything in society is about being a couple, you know, that's true. You're at the top of the hierarchy if you're married and you're, uh, you know, you're going two point 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 five children or whatever. You know, you're at the top of that uh, hierarchy. 
and everybody else falls underneath that, you know, yeah. and, and we need to get rid of that. So it, we, we were very aware of couples' privilege before entering into, this, uh, into, into, into polyamory to begin with. And we knew the weight that we were bringing in, you know, we were yeah. taking years together, working together, children, you know, financially, financial commitments, all that kind of stuff, you know. So we, because we were aware of it, um, we were constantly uh, trying to kind of uh, come up with ways to um, lessen it, you know. Yeah. And, and, and then see, fair play to her, she also said like she was not interested in any hierarchical uh, structure where where she was just kind of this uh, bit on the side, you know, this, this side thing. No, it's like, yes. no if, if you're going to do this, we're going to do this in, a, in an equal way. And we were like, yeah, great, because that's exactly what we were, we were thinking. So, yeah. so there, there are different types of, you know, different couples will approach this in different ways uh, if, they, if they want to open up uh, and, and go into either trouble uh, or, or, or start individually dating. Um, because I, I'm really individually individual dating as, as, as we speak. Um, and, and she's spoken about this in the media before, so I'm not saying anything. Yeah. That is uh, that she hasn't mentioned before. Um, so w- while, w- while we're doing this, it's all being done very consensually, and and it's done with every in consultation with everybody, and everyone's happiness and needs are um, regarded before any decisions are made. Excellent. So it's not like the couple makes all the decisions, and and then the the third person or, or the fourth person or. It's yeah. informed. No decisions are made uh, to, together. It's almost like a committee. I feel it should be working. <laughs> Way more fun than a residence association committee. I have to tell you, that I've sat on for many years. <laughs> 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 Till you've been, I mean, I I've, I could talk to you for another half an hour about all of this uh, um, because I think it is fascinating. And I love the way you open people's minds to things in such a gentle and clear fashion, things that people might not have considered before. And I think your generosity in sharing your story has been really wonderful. I wish you and Anne-Marie and C and all your children the best of luck and every happiness. And I'm really grateful that you took the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. That was Hi. Dil Vikramasinghe um, there. Thank you, Dill. And autism is a diagnosis that I think very often we associate with children. But in recent years, more and more adults have been diagnosed with the condition. And many of them have said that it has helped them make sense of a lot of things in their lives. Tracy Carroll is one such adult and she has described herself as, I love this, having the brains of a Ferrari and the brakes of a bike. Um, So we, we need to find out what that exactly means. Tracy was diagnosed with ADHD along with her young son. Hello, Tracy. Hi, Barbara. How are you? I'm very well. Listen, thanks a million for joining us here today. No problem. Now, you were, I think, 47 uh, when you were diagnosed. 46. 46. God, I'm giving you a year Um, there. 46. No, it's okay. I'm 47 now, but I was 46 when I was diagnosed. Do you know what age Louise is? Because we can't find out. It's her birthday today and she's not telling anybody. Well, she's probably younger than me I'd All say right, yeah. I'll get it out of her by the we end of the programme we give her 40 will we I say yeah, that been, I read that <laughs> <laughs> listen you have said that when you were diagnosed that it was a huge uh, relief and it, it finally helped you to make sense of why you always felt like an outsider so tell me a little bit about that yeah, um, I suppose where and Noah, you know, um, the flags were always there with ADHD, but I just didn't really see it because 
you know, I, I was said this to my mom yesterday. I said, Do you remember we were going for a walk in that park? It was over in uh, Salvage with her, and Noah took off and he was climbing a tree. And I said to her, Oh, Jesus, sometimes I hate rearing myself. And she burst out laughing. She said, Best thing I've ever heard to say. So, <laughs> you know, we are so alike. Um, and I'm watching myself kind of growing up, but with, I suppose, understanding when I was a, a child, there was no neurodiversity, wasn't a thing, and there, there was no awareness around it. And I was the bold child and the wild one. And, um, and as a child, Tracy, were you aware that you were different than that, that other children? I felt, you know, like it's like the lanes on the motorway. There's three. We're never in the middle lane. We're always either overtaken or in our own world in the slow lane, you know. And I always <laughs> felt like I That's a great way of describing it. Yeah. That's brilliant. So I couldn't ever meet anybody in the middle. And I never knew why I stood out. And it was very hard to kind of get your head around it. I can remember being kicked out of brownies and I have no idea why. <laughs> I oh, the choir because I was a crap singer, but that's <laughs> fair know, enough. <laughs> yeah, and like you know, it was always so the bowl kid, or you know, oh god, there she goes again. And you know, you have big emotions as well, and you don't know how to to manage them, and you don't know why you feel that way. And you know, self esteem issues, and not feeling like you were loved. I actually grew up my whole life feeling like my parents didn't love me, and we couldn't have had a more loving home. Yeah, yeah. You know, we had a great childhood, um, but I just felt always on the outside. And and, then, sorry, right. yeah, sorry to cut across you there, but you said that that, that, that uh, Noah, when he started to exhibit signs, when you said you always felt he was very like you, at that stage, did you know, did you kind of feel, oh, maybe there is something here that we need to get investigated? Well, we have a, a daughter with complex medical needs. So in the early days, I would have put that down to, you know, um, a trauma around when yes. was birth. I mean, she was sent home to pass away when no one wasn't even three at that point. And it was very traumatic the first two years of her life. Um, and we would have put a lot of that down to that. So we had right. invested a lot in no, you know, therapies and stuff and nothing was working. He was still mad. And um, then the school kind of raised, you know, their concerns as well. And Noah's, you know, he's he's like me, as you know, he's kind of a sponge with learning, but people don't think that he's actually applying himself to learning because he's done a 10 minutes ago in his head, but, you know, everybody thinks he's done nothing right. because he's so impulsive, always on the go, always on the move. So we invested everything in it and we kind of just, at the point, we're going, right, we need to go for this assessment. And obviously I was doing a lot of reading up about it. I was like, that's me, that's me, uh, that's me. Um, so when he had his diagnosis, I was like, I'm definitely going to do this myself. Yeah. Um, and it was just a huge sort of, oh, like I could breathe, like this, you know, pressure had been taken off me. And this fractured relationship I had in my head of with my parents just disappeared, you know. They just didn't yeah. know how to cope or manage. And, you know, neurodiversity was not a thing. There was no awareness around it. Like, I mean, I was a handful, you know. I was off doing my own thing the whole time, sort of, you know. they tell yeah. me one thing and I'd do the other. And as I was saying to Louise, my dad used to say to me, bring you anywhere twice, the second time to apologise. That's brilliant with the one-liners. <laughs> Yeah, it was always um, quite a challenge for them as well. Like, you know, my mum would say she'd dress me up and they'd be going off somewhere and I'd be out the back eating snails or muck, you know, constant, you know, like just constant challenge. And Noah's just, you know, he's just doing his own sort of thing, like, you know, and I suppose I can support that because, as he says, mum, you know, you know, you get me. And we have a fantastic relationship, really strong. Um, And it's very interesting to watch, you know, how he is developing 
to let me understand myself more as well. And, sure. you know, how I create patterns in my head or how I make plans for every single morning. I'll go to bed tonight and I'll know what I'm doing from five o'clock in the morning. And I have a, a structured routine in my head because that's how I get past the day. Right. Otherwise, I feel this sense of overwhelming, you know, it's this sensory overload. And that was never something I understood until... Sure. I, I realised, okay, I am neurally diverse. My brain patterns are different. You know, my firing is different to someone else's, and I just think differently. So, you know, for self acceptance, and not and not having to step. and not having to fight against it any longer to try and change yeah. yourself necessarily yeah, to be the same as everybody else. Yeah, that must be a huge freedom. Oh, completely. And it's a case of, you know, well, this is me. This is who I am. um, And, you know... Take it or leave it. (laughs) Yeah, and I've always been the same. So now I can... People say to me, I don't know how you keep going. Because, like, I'd be one of these people who's constantly on the go and I can survive on three hours sleep. And I say, I have ADHD. (laughs) Three hours sleep? Yeah, well, with Willow, um, you kind of mightn't get any sleep at night. But I just keep going, you know... And do you ever get exhausted? Do you ever get to the stage where you're surviving on the three hours? And I know I I understand what you say about Willow's needs uh, driving into that as well. But do you ever get to the stage where you think, no, I actually now need to go and sleep for a week in order to catch up? No. No. Um, I I, I guess once a a year I would get sick and I would get like pneumonia or flu. And then this year... Um, Willow's started school and the nursing support hasn't been sorted out and I have to bring her to school every day and stay with her in school Goodness. in the same school as Noah so this year I got sick and I had a temperature of 39.4 and all the rest and I just said actually I don't have time to be sick yeah. so I'm oh, just going to keep going so you just have this motor that just keeps on driving you and driving you I'm sure it drives other people mad but it gets stuff done and it keeps us going. Um, and I don't have those burnouts generally. And I'm a great one when John's driving to nap in the passenger seat. So I'm okay. no company when he's he's driving. I do that, um, yeah. Yeah, but that's about it. Like, I wouldn't um, have a nap during the day or anything. No. I like to keep busy. I don't like to sit down. Um, I just like to keep moving. Keep going. Um, I read yeah. somewhere, I, I think, I don't know if it was a quote you gave, and I don't know if it was true or false, and I want to know whether it was or not, that you're quite impulsive. And oh, you mentioned incredibly. chickens. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me. So, uh, we got, uh, I wanted chickens, and uh, that's what it was. So we got chickens, <laughs> and poor John had to go and collect the hen house. And then, you know, a few months ago, I decided to get another three, because two died. <laughs> I decided I was getting a greyhound, you know, I do do like really impulsive things and John is one a person who would take three weeks to decide on something that drives me insane. So we're very <laughs> different in that sense. And you he balance. made a comment, yes. Yeah, he made a comment yesterday going, Yeah, well I know where Noah gets his impulses from. Yeah, like, yeah okay. But it gets stuff done, John. He just rolls his eyes. And come here, how's it good? How's it going with the chickens? Because that's something I'd love to do as well. But you know what they're they're easy work. Are they? agree with me because he hates cleaning out the coops at the weekend right that's all, that, that's, uh, otherwise they're easy work yeah, yeah. they just kind of look after themselves and you get your eggs every morning yeah we get our five eggs a day so uh, fabulous got, well, I might, I might have to invest protein levels up as well because he's training for a marathon now in two oh, weeks so wow. the house is constantly busy needless Jeez, to say must be I might come back yeah. to you on the chickens um, you've also yeah. said that you suffer from which again I think is something particularly I have found that women suffer from more than men and that is uh, imposter syndrome and you say that that oh, is one of, yeah. yeah tell me tell me how that yeah. manifests itself you could do <clears throat> ten things right and you do one thing or say one thing 
small and you will eat yourself up right. every day about it for for a long time. And, you know, I've been part of groups and I, like, I would do a lot of advocacy around, you know, children with additional needs and I got a school set up for women. Like, so I've done, you know, positive, really good things. And then I'd say, oh, you know, last, not something to gone suddenly before I said John that's it I'm giving it all up I just had that overwhelming sense of I haven't a clue what I'm doing I don't know why I'm doing all of this and you know people are just looking at me going oh here she goes again and like it's so intense and you just want the world just to yeah. you know take it out of us and, and be done like you know there's times I say to John I just can't wait till this is all over yeah. and then you're grand an hour later but it, it, it never goes away and Noah has been expressing those feelings as well of I hate myself and I wish I wasn't here and, mm. and he's only eight mm. and I would say to him these are feelings you're just having now in this moment because something doesn't feel right it'll pass but you are actually always going to have these feelings Coming and it's something I'm very honest with him about you yeah. know because you have to learn the tools to deal with it, but they're very intense, you know, and it's it's awful. And self-esteem would be an issue with ADHD as well. Like, right. you know, because we feel like the outsiders, we don't really know where we fit. Right. Um, and because, you know, we're only developing understanding around it now, um, I suppose it's, it's trying to find our place in the world. But as I said to Noah, if everybody was in the grey the world would be grey. You know, it's people Absolutely. like us that, that think differently and can fire off here and create something new. You know, that that's what gets the world going. So, you know, it's all around positivity and, you know, you are amazing, Noah, and, you know, you are an intelligent child. And, like, when I did my ADHD assessment there back in the summer, he said to me, you know, you have a high IQ. And I said, really? Like, I grew up with the sense of being stupid but yeah. knowing I wasn't stupid but because I didn't know how to apply myself yeah. you know academically yeah. the way it w- w- was typical you know you have that sense of you're stupid but then I could do you know maths in my head with the flick of a switch or somebody else mightn't be able to do it so it's you know it's trying to find that, that place in between <clears throat> where you accept that you know you have to think differently that your 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 paths are different mm. but that you are as valuable as the person sitting beside you who can study and Tracy um, and Tracy from where you see it do you think the world is starting to change and starting to understand that like the, the rest of us are starting to understand that people with autism are able to think outside the box, are freer and more creative very often and able to come up with solutions that the rest of us, because we're kind of more blinkered, aren't able to do. Do you think there's an acceptance starting to come about? you know, there's a better awareness around it as well. And I suppose it's around down to, to, you know, choice. Like my whole, you know, drive for Willow to be in Noah's school, which is a special needs um, classroom within the mainstream school now, was, you know, to create inclusion. But I think children are the educators and children are the ones coming up forward. So they're our future. So this is where we need to be educating. You know, adults, uh, in a sense, we're not as free-minded as kids because, you know, we're conformed to society and expectations and all the rest. Where kids will just grow and learn as they go. And I can tell you, you know, we had our opening day last week and everybody was blown away by the classroom and how the kids, Willow and, and Abby, her little classroom friend, were getting on. But I actually said to them, you know, you actually need to look at the children in the mainstream school and what it's done for them and how they're just free to ask questions and they just accept and how they've adapted play and, you know, their their classroom lessons to include children who are very, you know, challenged. Willow has really complex needs 
and that's the way forward. I think our children yeah. are the ones that are actually going to educate the parents because they don't, they'll ask the questions. Yeah. Or people are uncomfortable asking questions. Um, I think with ADHD as well, there's still a perception of the bold child. Yeah. And, you know, people have commented to me, oh, well, if we all got assessed, we're all, you know, have something. And oh, I was like, well, this dismissive. is actually really, really challenging. I've grown up really challenged. And yeah. at this age, you know, I still have my challenges. So it's not something that, that's cool or trendy. It is something that actually needs to be supported, and especially in an education placement as well. Um, I think that's something that we really need to work and develop on. Yeah. You know, that there's proper support in place for, for children, you know, like Noah, that will struggle in the classroom and actually cause issues in the classroom with his own impulsivity and, you know... Because it's not understood. Interruption. Yeah, like, I mean, if he gets a notion and said he's gone, or yeah. if he wants to talk to someone, the building could be burning, but he'll make sure he gets that yeah. burst out, you know. Um, so to bring that support and awareness around there. We are we are um, more open and society is, is moving with that. Yes. You know, there is a lot of neurodiversity now in the classroom and we have that awareness. I don't think, you know, people are like, why have we got so much of it now? Yeah. It's actually that we have an awareness now and we have an understanding. Yes. Um, and people's minds, I suppose, have been opened to us. Um, yeah. It is very encouraging, you know, and, and I look forward to seeing... Um, Oh. Noah. <laughs> Hello, Noah. <laughs> He's in the playground. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it is. It is encouraging, and you know, I've, I've, I've a lot of support um, around us, and you know, people are enthused to to get engaged and and to hear about neurodiversity, sure, and to understand us as well. I mean, as I say, nobody knows what what tomorrow will bring. No, no, you know. But listen, you, I mean, I think Willow and Noah are very lucky to have you. And I think that uh, the work you've done in your advocacy for both your children, which will, you know, ripple out in the community to help other children as well, has been tremendous. So thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today, Tracy. I really enjoyed it and uh, continued good luck to you and your family. That was Tracy. Good luck if you get the chickens. Yeah, I might come back to you about that. Yeah, I'll be getting your number off Louise there and and ringing you. I have a man (laughs) to convince first. But anyway, oh, yeah. anyway, thank you, Tracy. Can chat to him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Barbara. Thanks, Tracy. And you're welcome back to Late Lunch. This is Barbara Scully with you. Um, I, next, we're going to talk, as I said, about travel. And I love talking about travel because I think even if you don't have a trip upcoming in the near future, imagining all the various places that you could go is, is it's not as good as a holiday itself, but it's a nice way to spend a little bit of time. So sit back and relax now because I am joined by Michelle Jackson, a.k.a. The Novel Traveller, who has some uh, interesting recommendations, I have to say, for us. And we're looking at two things. We're looking at uh, destinations that... Um, won't be too warm. Last year and a lot of the resorts that would be popular with Irish people, temperatures in the high summer were up in the 40s, which is a bit too hot for most Irish people. So we're looking at places that might be not too hot and we're also, Michelle has great suggestions for what she calls 3G holidays. So hello Michelle, how are you? Hello Barbara, great to chat with you. Asher, it's great to talk to you. Michelle and I were former uh, panel, joint co-panellists on the, uh, absolutely. the Elaine show. The show. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> where you used to bring in your great tips yeah. there as well. So look, thank uh, you for taking the time to to prepare this for us and you have got some great suggestions and I love the first one that you gave me because the place I know nothing about and that is Asturias in northern Spain. Tell us. Well you know unless you've done a Camino you wouldn't be very au fait with northern Spain. It's kind of one of the best kept secrets in Europe. It doesn't get 
desperately hot, Mm. like the rest of the region, the rest of the Iberian Peninsula. And Asturias is so unspoiled. The beaches are pristine, a little bit like our Donegal and our West Cork, you know, beautiful sandy beaches and very rugged. It's a mountainous region and part of the Camino actually goes through it. But the great news is that recently Reiner have opened up direct flights to Oviedo and that's twice weekly. They're very cheap at the moment. You're like 26 out, maybe 4660 back. Holy um, God, that's very good. Yeah, really good. And I will just warn people I'm a big fan of the travel agents. You know that, Barbara. Yes. I always recommend people you do. go to the local tra- travel agents. That's what agents. you say. And I was saying it for years before COVID. And I you were? did took my advice. <laughs> you know, because you go to a fully bonded travel agent, they will work out the route for you. They, they will work out prices. They will often work out cheaper than doing it yourself because yeah. they, they pre-book rooms, hotel rooms. They pre-book seats and they can get you better deals than all your foostering around yourself. So they are the experts. Another great way to get to Asturias is via uh, Brittany Ferries because they have got two sailings a week from Rosslare. So if you'd like to bring your car, down and leisurely drive along this beautiful coastline. I mean, the food is just superb. Yeah, you mentioned... It's agricultural, you know, it's a beautiful agricultural landscape and very much outdoorsy for people who want to get out and enjoy beautiful walks and nature. There's even some bears, Barbara, would you believe? There's some what? Bears. There's there's lots of wildlife. Bears? Did you say bears? I I did say bears, yeah. Holy God. uh, Now, there's only a very small number of them, you know, and they're not, you wouldn't be worried about it. But it is very rugged and rural. it's, It's just so you know, unspoiled if you want something very special. So a travel agent, uh, even booking with a travel agent can't guarantee you well, a meeting with a bear. Well, no, no, no. Or a whale <laughs> or whatever, you know. We, we can't guarantee those things. Well, you know, at least you'll have expert advice when you do go to a travel yeah, agent. Yeah, no, I, I would absolutely, I would absolutely agree with that. Uh, as you know, in a former life, I was such a thing. And um, Absolutely. I, and booking yeah. with a travel agent is also great because if you do hit any problems, you've got that resource behind you that you can call up and they will help you out yes. with whatever. Yes. Now, on from Asturias, um, and we are going south to, well, not too far south, to Portugal. And again, you're drawing our attention to the Atlantic coast, the west coast of Portugal. Yeah, well, well, the, the area around Cascais and Estoril are particularly beautiful. It's called the Lisbon coast. It doesn't get as hot as the Algarve. Um, you're, you're on the Atlantic. You have a different kind of landscape, uh, but it is particularly beautiful. There's so much to see and do, Barbara. Like, like Lisbon is only half an hour from Cascais. And Cascais, I'd kind of compare to a Dunleary or oh. a Hoth. You know, you're very much, you're, you're, you're close to the city, but you're very much in your own beautiful little place with an old town, small little beaches, a lovely marina, a great for windsurfing. And at night time in, in along this coast, you know, you would need your fleece, you your know, up, up along the coast, your cardi. And you, a villa is a great option for a 3G holiday if you've got the whole family with you. If you've got, because for my mum's 70, that's what we did. We went to Cascais and we had a fantastic time. Uh, now, people you know, tend Portugal to think, great for families. people tend to think that villas would be fierce pricey. Well, I have great news for everybody. Uh, Villaselect.com are a a company which hosts individual villas. And I got these prices from Kalini Travel. you, You can look them up on the internet. 339 per person for a week in June. And this is in 
Albufera. So when I say your own villa, I mean this is your own property with four bedrooms, your own private pool, <sighs> air conditioning. Like, what a great idea for a 3G family. Maybe granny and granny don't want to go to a big resort or, you know, something yeah. quieter. And you want the kids to be able to splash around uh, on their own in the pool. Or there might be two families wanting to go away together. This is a lovely option. And as That's I said, it was, I, Kalani Travel told me about it. And they also go to Croatia and Mallorca, um, you know, Paphos, actually, in Cyprus. They have them all over Europe. So, so I think that's a great idea. Yeah, that's a, that's definitely one to, to check out as well. Now, I'm very pleased to see that you've also included in your hunt for places that aren't too bile and hot my one of my favorite places which is the canary islands um now um you've there are seven she says showing off seven canary islands in total but the main (laughs) ones would be gran canaria tenerife lanzarote uh, possibly fortaventura as well yeah absolutely um so the the, the thing about the canaries barbara though is it's warm in the winter but because of where it's located you see it's actually cooler in the summer than mainland spain because of the way the sun moves so you've got that constant breeze especially in Fort Ventura and Lanzarote I'll give you a laugh Michelle back a million years ago when I was a travel agent and I did I I worked for two winter seasons down in uh, the Canary Islands both in Gran Canaria and Tenerife I was I never ceased to be amazed now I think it's possibly improved now but back then the amount of people who landed down to us in the Canary Islands and when you told them that we were off the coast of West Africa they nearly fell out (laughs) of their standing because they thought they were in the Mediterranean so as you say it's that location in the Atlantic down south is you know, with the cool, cooling sea breezes, means that the temperatures won't be too, too hot in in the in the summertime. It is subtropical, and yeah. you will be. You'll get those lovely prevailing winds. <clears throat> so, you know, the Canaries are a good option for the summer. And you um, mentioned a particular uh, hotel group as being a good bet. Yeah, well, for me, the Rio hotels for three generations, even for couples, I went to myself and my other half, we went there before Christmas to Tenerife. I think the Rio hotels are super for and all that's or IU. Uh, Rio hotels, yeah. yeah, there's, there's, yeah, they're Spanish group, and they're all over, they're in the Caribbean as well, all over Spain, but they're especially um, in the in the Canary Islands. And what you pay is what all you will need to pay once you get there. Everything from your glass of prosecco before your dinner to your your hot chocolate at night with a, a, the odd burger thrown in or whatever you want to eat, it's all you know included. You, your entertainment for the kids. There's there's bowls, um, you know, there's basketball. There, there are about four, five different pools. There are adult only areas, so say mom and dad wants a little bit of peace while the kids are in the kids club. Sounds good. And uh, you know, it, it, I just think the Rio hotels are, are really, really good. Um, you know, and I would recommend. I, I booked for Tui and I did upgrade though to make sure I got a nicer room looking out over the sea. Just, just, just little things. It, it, you can afford to do it when you know this is your budget. Yes, you know, exactly. When, when you know it's an inclusive thing, yeah. so there's no, you know, exactly yeah. what you're spending. That's 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 a good one. You also mentioned yeah. then Fuerteventura. Um, and yeah. you, you you got a good price for a family again on a self-catering three-star. Well, well some way, a lot of the operators send me in offers and sure. I put them up on my Facebook web, Facebook page, The Novel Traveller. So if anybody wants to kind of, or my, my website, thenoveltraveller.com, people can just look up and see things that I speak about. And, you know, yeah. I, I'm always putting them up and I subscribe, do a newsletter weekly as well for people who just kind of want ideas. Like last week I was doing Lapland, believe it or not, this is the time of year to book for Lapland. Good Lord. But, 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 um, but yeah, a great offer here with Sunway 2295. That's for a family of two adults and two children for seven nights and 
that's uh, carry-on bags flying out to uh, the Canaries there. Sort of turn. Now I'm going to because time is 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 slightly against us. I'm going to bring yeah. you straight down to cruises. A lot of people are kind of like, well, I'm not sure if I'd like it or not. So tell me how cruising that's is it. good for. 3G families? Well, my dad's 75th birthday, we did a Caribbean cruise and oh boy, am I glad. Now that my mum and dad are no longer with me, it means so much and I look back yeah. on those photos. We, you know, it's just so special and they are amazing because uh, in the Med, in the summer, it does get very warm. But on the cruise ship, you've got that breeze, you know, yeah. when you're on it and when you get off, you can decide you can do as much or as little. My daughter had been to Greece three times and she never got off the boat. She just <laughs> loved the cruises. I said, she said, I've never been to Greece, mummy. I said, you have, love. You were there. You were there. You in the you distance. Yeah, you were there yeah. and you wouldn't leave your friend. You were crying, screaming in the kids' club because you didn't want to leave your friend that you'd made. So, uh, you know, for all ages, again, you've got great theatre entertainment. At Brilliant. Night. It's so professional, Barbara. Like Brilliant. It's, it's so classy. You know, it's like okay. going to the theatre. So, uh, great ideas. That that is that is loads of food for thought. And again, a bit like Dill, I could I could talk to you for the rest of the day about holidays and where to go. But listen, they're oh, great. And people can go to the Novel Traveller to your website. They can sign up to your newsletter. Yeah. They can check out your Facebook page, and all of that information is there for them. Michelle Jackson, thanks, thanks ever Barbara. so much. You're very good. Great chatting to you. Thanks great a million. You. Thanks a million. Back after the and you're welcome back to late lunch. Now I think it's generally accepted that Ireland punches well above its weight when it comes to writers and books and writing, um, and a lot of our most successful writers are actually women. And one of those women, one of our most successful novelists, is joining me on the line right now to tell me about her latest book. Carmel Harrington, welcome to Late Lunch. Oh, it's lovely to be here chatting to you, Barbara. And it's lovely to hear your voice. I was at your book launch, um, what was it, about two weeks ago, I think now. And it was so nice. Yeah, it was a lovely, a lovely evening. It was. I love going to book launches. And um, this book that that you've just launched and that's in shops now is called The Girl from Donegal. How many books is this down the road now? This is book 11. Book 11. In many years. In 11 years. In 11 years. One a year. Congratulations. That is some achievement. I'm in awe of anybody who manages to write a book. Tell me a little bit, because I was fascinated at the launch when you did tell us a little tiny bit of the inspiration for this book, which is set, as far as I can remember, between Bermuda and, is it Ballycotton? No, it's actually between Donegal, between Ballymastocker Bay and Donegal and also right in Bermuda. And actually the... the Where did I get Ballycotton from? Because that's the next one. No, you were paying attention Ah, to next year's book. I knew there was a Ballycotton somewhere. Okay, I'm not going mad. Right, bring us back. Donegal and Bermuda. Donegal and Bermuda. Well, actually, the story was inspired completely by a snippet that I found in a BBC historical archive a few years ago. And a woman was sharing her mother's story, who in 1939 left Northern Ireland um, to get married to a British admiral in Bermuda. And she was due to set sail on the SS Athenia, but at the last minute didn't because her own mother faked an emergency and said that, you know, she was needed at home. And when I kind of read that snippet, and that's all that really it said, it was like yeah. literally 100 words. So I thought, okay, first of all, I thought amazing adventure um, for this woman to just decide to go to the other side of the world. In 1939, it must have felt like yeah. um, a whole new planet, really. So that kind of struck me initially. Um, but I knew nothing about the SS Athenia. So I started to kind of do a little bit of research. And before I knew it, I lost a whole evening. I was down like a rabbit hole looking at the Irish connections between Bermuda and here, the Irish connections on the SS Athenia, the real-life events that happened there. And honestly, by the time I went to bed that night, Eliza Lavery's character in my 
book had come in 1939 for A New Life in Bermuda and she does set sail on the SS Athenia unlike the snippet that I found yeah. and the events that happened the real life events that happened on that ship um, changes her life and the changes continue for over 80 years because not just her life has changed but many others too so there's a few kind of secrets of this one Barbara there's a few surprises along the way as well and we get to go to Bermuda which is a place that you went to in the because you take your research fairly seriously and I love this and you yeah. sold I know at the book launch you sold Bermuda to me I was sitting writing in my, in my phone like Bermuda check out Bermuda tell no, me about crazy. Bermuda as, a, as as an island I feel like actually I should be on there kind of, you, you should know, be. They, they must have an equivalent of ball torture over there, but <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like a one woman go to Bermuda. But I, honestly, Ireland has this huge connection with Bermuda, which I only found out when I started to research it. But right back from the mid 16th century, um, people have been going to Bermuda from Ireland initially on those convict ships. They yeah. were sent to do penal servitude. Then after the famine, they went on the coffin ships and they were given apprenticeships on the island. And so, so we've, our DNA is all over Bermuda. And um, I don't know, there was something about it. When, when I went for research, and I did a lot of, you know, it was quite geeky stuff, but I did a lot of historical tours. Um, I went to the Royal Naval Dockyard, which is where a lot of my book is kind of set um, around that kind of Second World War. It was a, an Allied base in Bermuda in both World Wars. So I was very interested in that yeah. angle. But when I was there, it was just the people. There was something about them that reminded me of home. Yeah. And I really saw it in how they communicated with each other and the ease and the friendliness. And I really feel that there is a strong Irish connection on that island. Um, and I just really fell in love with it. And it felt a little bit like home to me, too. And, and have you brought you? You haven't gone back yet, have you? Are you planning to go back with your book? Yeah, I'd love to go back and actually see it. Apparently it is in bookshops over there. Oh, wow. And yeah, and I really would because I my when we were there, and um, the kids had spending money, and my son who is one hundred percent a bit fee Barbara, and he wanted to go to a bookshop to get Brilliant. a book. Brilliant. So we went looking for a bookshop in Bermuda, and we were in Hamilton, which is one of the major towns, and we found two gorgeous bookshops. And I was just too shy to go. I was kind of going, should I go up and tell? Oh, you? Go up <laughs> but I did. I just couldn't find the neck to do it. You know, you kind of you'd be afraid someone might think you have notions, Barbara. So I. Did. <laughs> God, that's took, such an Irish thing. It's such an Irish thing. But I took photographs and I have those photographs and I, it would be lovely to go back because I believe they are, you know, they are stuck in the book now. So that would And be I'm nice sure they'd be delighted that, that, it, that it features in your book, you know. And as I say, your books are all bestsellers. Now, very briefly, I've only about a minute left. Can you give us a yeah. very brief idea of what you're working on next? And, and The Girl from Donegal is available in bookshops at the moment. But you, your, your new one is a darker, slightly darker story. Slightly darker. There's murder in Ballycotton, basically. Yes. Murder in Ballycotton. Yeah, it's kind of four. It's set between 51, 1951 and present day. And four lighthouse keepers' wives commit a crime, cover it up and vow never to tell. But in the present day, the granddaughter of one of those lighthouse keepers' wives receives an anonymous letter threatening to spill the secret. So it's the repercussions of that. So it's a, it's a bit of a, a whodunit and when... When did they do it? Um, going through this one, so it's a little bit darker, but still a typical Carmel Harrington that you would expect. Warm, lots of emotion and twists, and, and with warm, and, yeah. warm, nice characters in it. But you're only going to get to go to Ballycotton. But I love it down there. I honestly, God, I'm backwards and forwards all the time. Any excuse. That's another place now. I'll go on. I will do a boat fortune on that. 
100% go to Ballycotton. It's a great place for a weekend. If you're looking for somewhere, a quick spin from Dublin, that's it a great is. place to go. I, I absolutely, totally agree with you. It's beautiful. You have the, you have the lighthouse out on the wee island. Lovely yeah. beaches there in yeah. Shanagarry and Ballycotton. It is. It's, it's a, it's a gorgeous spot. Yeah. I would absolutely, uh, I would absolutely endorse that message. Well, listen, thank you so much for telling us all of that. And as I say, the girl from Donegal, I haven't jumped into it yet, but it's sitting in my uh, to-be-read pile on my bedside table at home and I'm looking forward to taking a trip Aww. in my mind to Bermuda which you described so thank beautifully you. and listen Carmel thank you so much for joining us today really appreciate Anytime. that best of luck to you thanks a million don't go away after the news we will be talking about um, the top five countdown and we will also be talking about brace yourselves a 45 year old Easter egg coming up after the news. And you're welcome back to the last part of Late Lunch today with me, Barbara Scully. Now, as we prepare to consume large amounts of chocolate this weekend, I have a question for you. Are you a chocoholic who cannot keep chocolate? Or have you, have you already broken into your Easter eggs as somebody in my house has already done? Or are you like my next guest who has, wait for it, kept an Easter egg for 45 years? Yes, 45 years. John Gartland, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Barbara. How are you, how are you doing? Today? I'm I'm doing well, I think, but I'm fascinated at this story. You got this Easter egg in 1978 when God was only a boy. God was only a gasman, as they say back then. It's it's <laughs> 1978. It's four, 45 years ago. Uh, it was if you do a bit of research, it was March 26th. March. It was 26th. an early Easter that year. And it was a week before the very first episode of Dallas aired in the US. Well, that puts it into perspective because I was <laughs> thinking it was around that time that we were all dancing to Saturday Night Fever as far as well, I know as well. You had Jerry Rafferty and Baker Street in the, in the top 10 at the time with, with Kate Bush at number one at Withering Heights. So God. very, very different era, Barbara. You're telling me. And what age were you, John? Uh, in 1978, I was just short of six. Just, you're only a yeah. boy, you're only a child. I was nearly leaving school, but still. Um, and tell me, tell me about this egg. Can you remember getting the egg? Who gave oh, you I the egg and what remember, kind of egg was uh, it? Yeah, th- at that time, you, you probably would have gotten a lot of Easter eggs at Easter. This one was a little bit special because it came in a box with a little uh, toy cat or kitten beside it. And at Easter, I remember saying, no, I don't want to eat that one. That looks too nice. Oh, God bless And it you. ended up staying in the fridge till Christmas and we didn't need it at Christmas and it was there the next year and <laughs> it just became a fixture. <laughs> and come here, did you take the toy? Was the, was the kitty cat in the egg? Could you see the kitty it, cat? It was uh, in the box. But you could the see the kitty on cat. on the left and the little cat to the right. And did you not even take the cat out of the box? And no, play with- it was all left pristine. Good Lord Almighty. Do you know something? I'm wondering, would it be worth money now? Because it's all, you know, the way my husband's a bit mad and a bit odd as well. And he gets very excited about toys that are in their original boxes. But I don't know about the Easter egg being in its original box. Would it be worth money? Would you put it up on eBay like? I wouldn't imagine it would make too much, Barbara, at this stage. It's (laughs) just a bit of mouldy chocolate. (laughs) Do you know what happens to chocolate after that long? I mean, it's obviously still wrapped up, but does it go white and kind of weird or does it melt or... There's a little bit of it exposed, and it still looks brown. So it was, it was a, it was a treebar egg back oh. in the day. So uh, I'm not quite sure whether it was real chocolate was in it or whether it was some of these artificial chocolate. But it's, it's certainly still brown. And I know a lot of chocolate. If you leave it out too long, it'll go white. But yeah. this one certainly hasn't in 45 years. It's still brown. And did your did your mummy never say to you like when you were a teenager? Listen, John, would you ever eat that egg because it's taken up space in my fridge and I want it gone. Of course they did, but, but it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> and do you like chocolate, John? 
I'm not a big chocolate lover. I'm, I'm more of a savoury person than a sweet person. But uh, look, it's, it's just there. It's part of it's part of the furniture at this stage, and I, I can't see it going for a while yet. That's, anyway, you, you know. It's <laughs> and do you buy Easter eggs yourself now? Would you buy an Easter egg? Do I? To be honest, no. You, do, <laughs> you honest, don't. No. No, I, 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 as I said, I'm not a huge chocolate lover. Okay, if there's one there and it's going for the eating, I'll have a bite or two of it. But uh, that's about it. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be a, a chocoholic by by any means or standard. And, and I presume people wouldn't be giving you eggs either, just in case you put them in the fridge and just <laughs> left them there for ages. Well, we, we we have a few people that mentioned to me over the last uh, few days, and some were saying they have a cream egg. I think it was Louise there with you. She's she's got it since pre-COVID times, and she's hoping to to catch up with me. What is she waiting for? A cream egg since pre-COVID times. It's four years old, she's telling me. Four years old. and that's I'm not a chocoholic by any means, but I I like to have chocolate in the house and I don't know whether this is a woman thing. I should have asked uh, Dr. Mary Ryan, who I spoke to earlier, who was talking about hormones the other day. But I know when I need chocolate, I need chocolate and I need, I, so I need to know that there's always chocolate somewhere that I can get at. And I have a husband and one daughter out of three who are absolute maniacs. And if they find the chocolate, they will trough through the entire bar, no matter what size it is, without my permission. And then there's no chocolate. I should have married you, John. My chocolate would have been well, safe as houses. That, I suppose, huh? chocolate-wise, uh, I wouldn't be dying about your, your rich chocolates or anything like that. Give me a fruit and not any day and... That keep me sorted chocolate wise. <laughs> so how much longer are you, are you taking it year to year, John, or have you plans to you know to to, to eventually well, th- for the demise of the chocolate egg for what well, I suppose a look, after being forty five years there, realistically it's not gonna be edible. It's probably <laughs> so we, not. We, we'll see how long it lasts and uh, after I'm gone if my if my kids want to keep it going, they're quite they're quite oh, welcome. Holy God, can, you're can, not going to destroy it in your lifetime. Oh, well, absolutely not. No, it's just, as I said, it's part of the furniture at this stage. Let, let those coming after me decide what happens. <laughs> Listen, I believe congratulations are, are in order as well, because I think you're celebrating an anniversary in business, if that's right, are you? That's correct. Uh, Barbara, yeah, we're, we're 20 years in business at NetOne there over the last month. And uh, that Very 20 good. years went around nearly as fast as the Easter egg. Uh, but we're, we're culminating. We have a, a big draw for all our customers on Friday and Fantastic. Looking forward to that. Uh, fantastic. And they all know that you're a man who keep kept an Easter egg for 45 years, I hope. They do now because somebody's do. put it up on the, on, the, <laughs> on the social media channels. But uh, probably before that, no. <laughs> well, listen, I wish you a very happy Easter, John Gartland. You and your Easter egg and the poor little kitty cat who's trapped inside that and has lived in your fridge for 45 years. And I will be waiting with bated breath every Easter to see whether, whether you have decided to part with it. and We'll, send we'll it call her an Arctic cat at this stage, but uh, yeah, we'll certainly let you know. I'd say she's well frozen. Anyway, um, that's it for today. We're going to, uh, I just want to say, your, your Jerry, your beloved Jerry is back with you tomorrow. I want to thank Louise for keeping me on the straight and narrow for all week um, for, for the last few days that I've been here. And we are going out with Wuthering Heights, which was the song that was in the charts when John got his Easter egg all those years ago in 1978. Enjoy the rest of your evening and happy Easter to you.
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.